If you've never had to respond to a cyber attack, never been forced to make difficult time-sensitive decisions, and if you haven't given serious thought as to how you would go about doing it, it's safe to say you could be headed for a whole lot of trouble. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 36 of the Resilient Journey podcast, sponsored by ClearRisk. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and today I want to get you started on the road to effectively responding to a cyber attack. We'll discuss why this isn't just an IT problem, how to involve your crisis management team, and how to be as prepared as possible to make those difficult decisions. Cybercrime is on the rise, and with everything going on in the cyber world, can you really afford not to pay attention? We'll get into it right after this important word from ClearRisk. Navigating changes in the risk landscape can be daunting without access to the right tools. ClearRisk's centralized risk management solution streamlines the process of data collection and analysis, helping customers make impactful decisions and focus on big picture initiatives. ClearRisk provides a highly configurable, easy to use solution that gives our customers the confidence to inform decision-making and proactively optimize risk in their organizations. Effective risk management begins with data you can trust. Learn more at clearrisk.com. Recently, I had the privilege of speaking on behalf of ClearRisk, and uh, what I wanted to share today is loosely based on the presentation uh, that I gave at the conference uh, where I was representing them. Uh, just by way of a quick introduction for those of you who might not be familiar, uh, I am a, a senior risk and resilience consultant. I do a fair amount of work with Clear Risk. I'm helping them develop some business continuity software. I'm also the co-founder of a group called the Resilience Think Tank. And at the Resilience Think Tank, what we do is we focus on providing support to our colleagues. We want to help people in our industry grow and develop and mature. And I was talking with someone about this recently and they said, well, Mark, who are your mentors? And I'll go back to a conversation that I had on this podcast a few weeks back with a gentleman called Sean Van Slyke. And he said something in his profile that I asked him about. And he said that uh, he treats conversations like he's always interviewing. And I asked him what he meant by that. And he said, uh, I'm always interviewing. You know, it's like uh, you never know when that next opportunity is going to be. And so uh, every conversation was almost like a job interview with him. I took always interviewing to be uh, the opposite side of that, where we talk about interviewing because we love to ask questions and I like to learn from other people and from their point of view. And so that's where I come from. I, I sort of feel like almost anyone can be a mentor to me. Uh, and I realize that you could look at that and say, well, that's dangerous because you could be swayed by a lot of different points of view. Uh, but I've been around long enough to understand, uh, you know, what's right and, and, and what's wrong. And when I hear something that's, uh, that's right and I can incorporate it into what I do, uh, then I'm always willing to do that. But that love of asking questions and learning from other people has served me very well. Um, and it's really why I host this podcast. Today, I want to talk about how to respond effectively to a cyber attack and give you some uh, ideas of things you should be paying attention to. There's probably not a board or an executive leadership team anywhere on the planet 
that's not aware of the increased risk and the threat of cyber attacks. You know, as a result of that, organizations of every type and every size have been spending a lot of time addressing how to respond to a cyber attack and how to be effective at it. Uh, for years, companies, though, have treated cyber as a risk that IT could face on their own. And we really need to stop thinking about things around cyber in that way. This is partially an IT problem, but it is a business problem. It is a leadership problem, and it's something that we need to pay attention to. So beyond IT, companies need to add a crisis management component to their cyber response. Now, there's a number of things that will come from being able to incorporate this second work stream uh, when it comes to responding to a cyber attack. So in addition to the technology that we often see, where there's a security incident and the the IT team gets involved with their security incident response plan and they do the forensics and, and that type of thing. In addition to that, this parallel work stream that focuses on crisis management really needs to be active. And that's where we do things like we gather details about uh, the incident and understand how the incident is affecting the business. And so this is information that we've gathered anyhow in our business impact analysis. We know, for example, at the very least, which departments use various systems uh, across uh, our portfolio. Um, and if we do it right, we also know what uh, specific business functions rely on uh, the individual systems. And so we have a really good idea of what the uh, impact would be to the business uh, if a system was to be uh, taken offline, whether it's crypto locked or um, you know corrupted in some way. So it's important that we start with understanding the details of how a system is used, and then our crisis management team can facilitate the response. And what I want to talk about here today is the various things that need to be involved in that cyber response. And I mentioned communications. We're going to come back to that in a minute. But there are four or five other things that I want to make sure that I'm able to spend some time on. And this was something I wasn't able to do uh, when I spoke on a topic very similar to this at the conference. I just didn't have time uh, in the time slot that I was given to elaborate on that. So I wanted to do that here today. As part of the crisis management response, one of the things that we really need to focus on is cyber insurance. Now, look, you can't wait until you have a cyber attack to try to figure out what your insurance is. So it's really important for you to figure that out um, now. Start working with whether it's your risk team or legal team or finance or whoever it is in your organization that is responsible for coordinating with your cyber provider. Learn everything that you can about your insurance coverage. And by that, I mean, make sure you understand what the scope of the coverage is. Make sure you understand what the limitations of the coverage is. And by limitations, I'll give you an example. I was uh, reviewing a cyber policy for a client. This goes back a couple of years. And there was a limitation in the policy that said that if a cyber attack occurred, 
uh, through a vulnerability of a laptop, and that laptop was not encrypted, then the policy would not cover anything related to that attack. And I went back and I was speaking with um, the IT person, and I asked him if he was aware of that clause, and he said, no, he wasn't aware of it at all. And, oh, by the way, uh, their laptops were not encrypted. It was something that they were looking to do, but they felt that it was too expensive to do, so they decided not to encrypt their laptops. Well, that was a decision then that they were going to have to make uh, regarding risk. And it's a, a good example of how risk comes into the whole resilience world because they would then have to make a decision whether they were willing to live with the risk of a cyber attack coming in through an unencrypted laptop and not having the coverage. So it's really good to make sure you understand what your insurance coverages are, including the limitations, and then make sure you understand what the services are that the insurance company is going to be providing. Most likely, they're going to be providing you with a breach coach. So, you know, what you want to do is uh, make sure you understand what's the process for engaging them, what you can expect from the breach coach when they come in, and, uh, and just make sure you have that fully documented. A couple of other areas that you're going to want to pay attention to when it comes to effective cyber response is you're going to work to protect your reputation. I mentioned communications earlier. And so communications, effective communications, uh, really is a great tool to help you work towards being able to protect your reputation. One of the things that, uh, again, thinking ahead, anticipating what uh, might uh, likely happen uh, on the heels of a cyber attack, you should be working to build a communication guideline that establishes objectives and tactics for how to communicate effectively after a cyber attack. This would include internal communications, how are we going to communicate with our employees, uh, how will we communicate with our board of directors, and then externally, uh, do we uh, want to issue a statement to the media? How will we communicate to our, uh, to, uh, our customers? Uh, what, do we, what other stakeholders might be involved that we would need to communicate with? What are the reporting requirements from a privacy perspective? And how do we need to notify those who are affected by uh, potentially a data breach or something uh, to that effect? And the idea is that you want to uh, anticipate these things ahead of time, build your communication guidelines so that you're prepared to communicate effectively internally and externally, right on down to a couple of key things that you'll want to, to make sure are in your arsenal. Uh, the first one is you should have templates in place that are pre-written that you could plug in the details of whatever incident that you're dealing with, and that would allow you to uh, put an effective statement together without having to write it from scratch. The form and the format and the substance of the statement are pre-drafted in the template and all you have to do is fill in the details. Uh, that will make you much more efficient and effective when it comes to communicating. The other thing I always encourage people to do is think ahead to what some questions might be, whether it's from the public, from the customers, or from a journalist, and make sure you understand what your answers are and start to think about likely questions that you'll get asked and how you would like to respond to those questions. 
Really important here to be truthful um, and to be as transparent as you can be. Uh, but it's a, it's a good idea to give thought ahead of time to those questions and answers so that you can practice them and that you're well prepared and you don't have to try to uh, pull an answer off the cuff and uh, figure out what you're going to say when you get asked a difficult question. Another area that I would encourage you to start paying attention to is legal and privacy. Make sure you understand what your uh, legal obligations are, particularly around privacy, data protection, notification, things like that. You don't want to make matters worse by uh, not having an effective plan in place that helps you deal with privacy-related matters. Uh, make sure, for example, if your insurance company is going to provide you with a breach coach, uh, these are typically uh, law firms who will come in, uh, work out ahead of time to make sure you understand what your legal position is with the breach coach, who will ultimately make decisions, whether it's you or them, on behalf of the insurance company, and make sure you understand uh, what your legal standing is on a number of these areas. And then the last thing that I just want to talk about uh, here is making good decisions. You know, it's very reasonable to assume that you're going to have to make some very difficult decisions, you know, uh, in, in the event of a cyber attack. And the one that everyone likes to talk about, it's the elephant in the room, is are we going to uh, pay a ransom? And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to walk you through uh, some typical decisions that you might have to make uh, following a cyber attack. Like we discussed uh, with communications and uh, with protecting your rep reputation and understanding privacy and things like that, uh, I, it's the same principle here. I want you to think ahead. I want you to give some thought to how you would like to respond to these likely decisions and build them into your cyber response plan. The way we do that is we define a default position for each likely decision. The reason that we build a default position is because we can start to have a conversation with the decision makers ahead of time. Whether it's your board of directors or your executive leadership team or your crisis management team, it doesn't matter. Uh, what I want you to do is, is gather the people together and talk about likely decisions that you're going to have to make and land on a starting point, that default position. It needs to be based on your organization's core values, principles, and risk appetite. I don't want you to base your default position on an emotional response. I ran an exercise one time with a customer, and we came to the point where I presented a scenario where uh, a hacker group had accessed one of their critical files and was asking for $700,000. And the chief operating officer of this organization got so pissed off at these imaginary hackers that he just lost it. He just, and, and this was in an exercise. Imagine how much more emotional or emotionally charged this would have been if it was, uh, you know, an, an actual attack. So what we want to do here is we want to think about this logically and we want to start with a default position uh, for whatever decision it is that we're talking about. But we don't stop there. We continue our exercise of anticipation and we allow ourselves to deviate from that default position based on likely extenuating circumstances. 
And then based on whatever you're imagining this circumstance to be, you can determine if it makes it more or less likely for you to execute an action. So let me give you uh, an example. Uh, as I mentioned, everyone likes to talk about the decision about whether or not we will pay ransom. And so when I walk people through a workshop like this, I'll ask uh, the executives what they think. And once again, even though it's just a, a workshop, it's just a, a question, you get often a very emotionally charged answer. Hell no, we're not paying a ransom. We'd never pay a ransom. Okay, look, I respect that. If you don't want to pay a ransom, uh, you're not going to get any argument from me on that. But I want you to be able to defend that position. Tell me why you don't want to pay the ransom. I'm okay with it if you don't want to, but I'd like to hear a valid business reason for why you feel that way. One time I did a workshop with a customer and they said, you know what, Mark, I think we would be likely to pay the ransom. Okay, again, I won't argue with you. It's your decision, not mine, but I want you to tell me why. And this particular customer told me that they would be likely to pay a ransom because they cannot afford to be down and whatever it took for them to get up and running, that's what they would want, you know, be interested in talking about doing. Now, they were not locked in to paying the ransom. They would still try to recover internally. But if push comes to shove, they said, yeah, they would probably lean towards paying a ransom. So it's going to be based on the circumstances of the organization, but I don't want it to be emotional. I want it to be based on uh, core values, principles, uh, urgency, and things like that. Now, we mentioned extenuating circumstances. So one of the things that uh, I'll ask uh, an organization, I'll say, well, what if there is real evidence that the hacker group has your data and there's credible evidence to support that they're going to release that data in the public? Does that change your position at all? And oftentimes what will happen is an organization that starts off with a no will then come to me and say, well, you know, hmm, that could potentially move us towards being more likely to, to pay the ransom. Now, again, we're not making decisions now. All we're doing is we're documenting sort of the rules of engagement around some really important decisions. So I'm going to give you one of these and I'm going to explain to you the, the questions that I ask and we're going to stick with this one around will we pay ransom. I usually start off by saying, okay, what do you think? Are you willing to pay a ransom? And default positions on this literally do vary. But in my experience, and I've done a number of these, people tend to lean towards no. People tend to lean towards, I'm not going to pay the ransom unless there's some really compelling reason for me to do that. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that position. Now, I will ask them then to discuss four or five other things that they might want to consider. So the first one is the ransom amount. What if this is a really, really low number? Now we start to get into some other considerations here, and this is where it's important for you to understand your insurance uh, coverage. So uh, let's just say we're in, a, in an organization that has $5 million worth of cyber insurance coverage, with a $100,000 deductible. And so I'll say to the executives, well, what if you got this really 
low uh, ransom demand, maybe it's $50,000 or $70,000, and you've come in with a default position of no, then you get this ransom demand that's really low. Does that change your opinion at all? Would you be likely to pay the ransom if it was that low? Next question is the one we used in our example. What if there was the threat of data exposure? What if this was a double threat that said, pay us $1.5 million, and if you don't pay by the deadline, we're going to release employee payroll data on the dark web. Does that change your position at all? One that seems fairly obvious, but might not be, is how does your own IT department's ability to recover the data affect your willingness to pay? Now, let me give you an example here. So we go back to May of 2019. The city of Baltimore received uh, a ransomware attack and they received a demand for somewhere in the neighborhood of $75,000. And they took the stance that they are not going to pay. And it took them weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and months to get their systems back online. Uh, And at the end of the day, the the latest estimate that I heard was that it had an internal cost of somewhere between $12 and $18 million against what could have been a $75,000 ransom payment. Now, I'm not criticizing them. I'm not saying they were wrong and they should have just paid the ransom. That's, that's not my decision to make. It's not my money. But this is a perfect example of a default position, which for them was clearly no, and an extenuating circumstance in that they were not able to recover their systems uh, internally. And so at some point, it probably would have been worthwhile to at least have the discussion to say, listen, we can still get out of this and you know, maybe try to negotiate to see what you can do you know, to, to maybe pay the ransom and get your systems back because it took months and, and, and a lot of money to, to recover. This next one always catches people off guard and it talks about the credibility of the threat actor. And people always say to me, these people don't have any credibility. They're crooks, they're thieves. Yeah, but they're also in business. This is a uh, business model. Ransomware is a business right now. And your breach coach, people who work in this industry day in and day out, will be able to tell you about the credibility of the threat actor. Uh, They have reputations. There are threat actors out there that are known to be reliable, if you'll allow me to use that word, to provide accurate decryption keys and to complete the business transaction to allow you to get your systems back. So that is something to consider as well. And then the last thing that I want to talk about here is, do you feel like there's going to be a reputational impact on your organization if you pay or you don't pay? And this could be a damned if you do and damned if you don't kind of a situation, but it might also be a situation where you you really need to give some thought to it. If this, the, the example I gave for the city of Baltimore if that was a business that you know was that had shareholders that were looking at the cost associated with first of all the remediation cost and the lost revenue and the overall cost that started to approach 18 million dollars against what could have been you know a $75,000 payment and they're back in business you could see the reputational impact of the leadership team really taking a hit from the shareholders 
you know, when they look at that this cost, you know, 20 times what it could have cost uh, for them to recover. Similarly, uh, you could also imagine a negative reputation if a company chose to pay and uh, it was perceived that they negotiated with terrorists, for example. So this has got to definitely be case by case. I'm not going to sit here and tell you which way to go with a decision like paying ransom or not, but uh, it's something that certainly needs to be considered when you think about decisions that you're going to be making, such as paying ransom. Bottom line here, definitely need to have two work streams in place. Uh, one, clearly technical. We need that technical team engaged, executing their cyber incident response plan, doing the forensics, working to contain and eradicate whatever malware is on the system and get those systems recovered. But equal to that, and I mean as important, is the crisis management response that understands the business impact, the insurance capabilities, how to communicate, working to protect your reputation, navigating through legal and privacy issues, and ultimately being able to make good decisions uh, as you navigate through this. Look, I teach a course on this. It's a six-hour course. Uh, if you're interested in getting uh, to know more about that, reach out to me, and I would be happy to talk to you about the in-depth work that we can do here, whether it's uh, the course itself or whether it's the Cyber Decision Workshop, anything like that, uh, I'm right here able to help you. So thanks for listening to this uh, slightly different format of the Resilient Journey podcast. Uh, I have decided that I'm going to do these once in a while uh, to be able to share with you some of my knowledge and wisdom that I've picked up over the years. Uh, and it's sort of like uh, interviewing myself, if you will. Um, but uh, stay in touch and uh, listen for more uh, out of this series uh, from time to time as we go forward. I want to thank you for listening to The Resilient Journey, and uh, I appreciate you being part of it. Thanks for listening to The Resilient Journey podcast, sponsored by ClearRisk. Like I said at the end there, I really like doing these presentation-style episodes, and uh, I'll be doing more of those going forward. I am really excited about next week's episode. Next week, I'm joined by Margaret Millett as we discuss the Great Resignation. We'll look at the Great Resignation broadly and how it could impact your activities in the business continuity world. It's a fascinating conversation, so join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey.